Hey everybody, welcome to Startup Hand Me Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. So today I had the pleasure of speaking to Sam Parr. Um, Sam is the founder of the daily newsletter, The Hustle, which in a nutshell is the Wall Street Journal for millennials. Um, it is by far one of the coolest things I've ever, ever subscribed to. I mean, the voice is just so on point. Um, Sam himself has a very, very cool interesting background um he's had many different businesses from setting up a food stand selling hot dogs to selling whiskey online to creating an app for finding the perfect roommate and actually exiting that business um he's had such an interesting journey um he most recently raised three hundred thousand dollars on a crowdfunding platform and he closed the round within 50 hours um and in that time, he had some pretty notable investors as well, with the likes of Ramit Sethi, um, from I Will Teach You How To Be Rich Investing, to Tim Ferriss. Um, so we just talk a little bit about what the future of the hustle is, how we kind of started this whole entrepreneurial journey, um, and why he seems to not care about the website as much, but he really is going all in on the newsletter. Um, so please enjoy the show and let us know what you think. Yo, what's going on? How are you? Thank you. I'm fine, thanks. How are things going over there? I can't complain. Everyone's happy and healthy. Great. So Sam, when you're out at a dinner party or an event, how do you introduce yourself? Uh, I say that I'm Sam Parr. I work at a company called The Hustle, and we are a business news website. Um, but instead of a website, it's email only. Um, and it's like a younger version of Bloomberg or the Wall Street Journal. Awesome. So you actually say you work there. You don't say that you run it. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I, I happen to own it and have, I started it as well, but I typically don't. Uh, I usually just say I work there. Sometimes um, it's just a little easier. It's a little easier uh, to talk about when you say you work somewhere, I think, versus when you started it. Right, of course. Um, so before we actually get into the hustle and hustle con, uh, I want to find out a little bit more about you. So where does your entrepreneurial flair come from? Like, when did you decide that this was going to be the path that you took? I never made that decision. I don't think so. Uh, my parents own their own companies. Where um, my my dad owns a company that my mom helped start, and it's a uh, it started small and grew grew to be a nice successful business. But nice. when I was younger. I didn't know what an entrepreneur was. I just thought that that's what you do is you just, I'm from Missouri, the Midwest, the middle of America, and I just thought that that's what you do is, because um, I had a lot of peers whose parents just started their own businesses, and I just kind of thought that was the thing that you did. Yeah. And so I had always just kind of sold my own stuff and made money on my own. Um, the first real business where I got like a business license was when I was like um, 19 years old or something like that. Um, but even then, I didn't consider myself like an entrepreneur. It was just like, this is just what you do. You just kind of sell stuff and make a living. Mm, so you're a product of your environment in a good way. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess so. Uh, but yeah, you know, up until I moved to San Francisco, uh, I had never really like heard of the word entrepreneur. I just thought that like, you just start, I don't know, you just, that's just what people do. Right. So um, I guess your first kind of notable project, Moonshine, would you say? Yeah, well, kind of. Um, so yeah, so that, what, 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 like, what was that? Stand. Yeah, what was um, that, and like, how did it start? The uh, the liquor store. Yeah. 
Yeah, so in college, I was a big fan of this guy named Mike Wolf. He was the host of a TV show called American Pickers. At the time, it was the second most popular show on cable, and I randomly, very randomly, ran into him and bumped, like literally bumped into him on the street, and he, we became friends, and he let me work at his store. And when I worked at his store, I, I met all these amazing people because Mike is kind of a celebrity, and all these cool people wanted to come see him. And one of the people that came and saw him was this guy who had opened up a... Um, well, he had started brewing small batch whiskey because there was a recent law that allowed uh, small-time small people to make whiskey. Right. Before, you had to pay like 100 grand or 200 grand to get a liquor license. Now, you had to pay like 10000 and you could do it. And it was a very, uh, it was a law that was enacted just in Nashville. And I, uh, I kind of thought that like people, I knew that people in Europe love to buy American, very American things. Mm-hmm. Um, we do because this show, basically, this show that I worked for, or this guy Mike, our job was selling basically Americana, American vintage items and stuff like that. And so I thought there was a market for people outside of America or people uh, within the rest of the country that wanted to buy very American things. And I thought, like, okay, someone who makes small batch whiskey—that's moonshine. It's mm-hmm. not literally moonshine, but I branded it as moonshine. Yeah. And I was like, I think I can make a business out of this. And so I just launched this really simple website where I took, and I took photos of this guy's small batch whiskey and it just kind of took off organically. Wow. Um, so you just, you didn't do anything on like Google ads. You just put the website up and people were searching for you. I did not know how to use Google ads. So <laughs> I, uh, the, the, I, I was like, Moonshine Online was the name of the store, and I'm a huge motorcycle guy. Right. I love vintage motorcycles, and I posted on all the motorcycle forums because typically the guys who like vintage motorcycles also like Americana stuff, and they ended up becoming my first customer, and then it spread word of mouth, and then completely accidentally, because um, at this time, I just kind of caught at the beginning of the trend, people started beginning to search for buy Moonshine Online, and my website was called moonshine online wow just total luck it was was, yeah give yourself a bit more credit but yeah Uh, (laughs) um that's insane so like what happened with that did i mean it's still around i mean the website's still up yeah i guess it is huh i haven't checked it on it forever but it was good it was making like a thousand dollars a day wow when i was in college that's huge it was like making like real money but i shut it down because i ended up um I don't drink alcohol. I used to drink alcohol. I don't drink alcohol anymore. And I was like, well, you know, if I'm not like living, I'm not, I don't plan on like, I, I don't want to like be a liquor guy because I don't really use this product anymore. Yeah. And um, there was a bunch of red tape. Like I, 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 I was able to run it for a little while, but then after a while you'd have to like do some, a whole bunch of legal stuff and I just didn't want to deal with it. But yeah. uh, looking back on it, it could still be a, a very good business if someone wanted to do it. Yeah. I mean, a thousand dollars a day. That's not, that's not a bad return for a college kid. It was it was nice, <laughs> and then um, I guess your next project, Southern Sam's, the hot dog business. Like, how did that come about? <laughs> yeah, you know, it stemmed from that job I had with Mike Wolf again. I was um, working at the store. I only worked for this guy for a year, but when I worked there, I learned so much. And when I worked there, there was uh, lines of people outside the shop waiting to get in, but there was nowhere to eat. Like these people were waiting. And they, I remember they would always like ask for a bottle of water, ask for soda, and no one was selling it. So what? I quit working when I was working, and I just told them that I was going to open up a hot dog stand. And the reason I did hot dog stands was because it was the cheapest stand I could open up, and it didn't require a lot of money. And um, 
I love the idea of selling something that was boring, but to use marketing to put a really interesting shtick on it. Right. And that's what we did. So it was very organic. Uh, I mean, like, of all things hot dogs, right? They're not the healthiest of things. But, um, like, how much did it cost to actually start up? Uh, like, $500 or less. I found a guy who had a hot dog stand, and I was like, hey, can I rent this from you? I can't pay the first month's rent. But I'll pay. I'll I'll double. I'll pay this the second in the second month. I'll pay two months rent up front. Yeah. Um. You know what I mean. And yeah. he let me do it. And nice. then eventually I just like owned the carts. And that's how I got my initial startup money. Okay. Um, I probably used five hundred dollars. I like. I literally could only buy enough food for that first day. And then that next morning, I went to the store and used my profits to buy more. And then I could kind of buy it at a bulk and get a discount, and it was like very, very, very cheap. I think my I remember my business license cost like thirty five dollars. Yeah. My all my fees and licenses all cost like only a hundred bucks, and um, I only spent about a five hundred five hundred dollars on food and supplies. And the first day, it made enough money that I could go back and buy more, and it just kind of that's how it, it worked. That's insane. And then, <laughs> so you did that <laughs> for a while, and um. You talked about marketing. What did you do differently than anyone else? Yeah, so... Other than B, I guess you kind of had like a monopoly because there was nowhere else for anyone to go, but... Well, but we expanded to different spots. Uh, We ended up having a couple cards at a couple different spots. And the way that, you know, I'm always good. I was always good at wheeling and dealing. So I met the right people and I was a pretty good salesman. So I could talk to people on the street and convince them to do stuff. Yeah. But... Our little shtick was it was called Southern Sam's Wieners as big as a baby's arm. And if you would tweet a photo uh, of us with your baby's arm in a bun with mustard on it, you'd get a free sausage. And at at nighttime, we would um, double the prices because drunk people pay more money. Sure. And we, I just would, like, some of my friends, um, I had, like, some really cute friends, like, girlfriends. Yeah. And they would, um, we just... I mean, that was, it was like a Hooters almost. They, they like would help us sell uh, stuff, you know. Um, both men and women love attractive women, so it kind of we sold more that way. Yeah, usually, that usually how how it goes, I think. Um, so, what kind of revenues were you guys doing? On a slow day, we'd make two hundred dollars. On a good day, about a thousand. Nice. Maybe two thousand. Like if I. Um, like I would, I had contracts with the radio stations, and when the radio stations would do summer concerts, we'd be the official vendor, and we could make two two thousand dollars. Wow, that's insane. So it was making money. It was good. I mean, it was it was a good good little business for a twenty year old. Yeah, and you got you even um, wrote like an ebook on how to start your own food cart. Yeah, I have passed that. But talk, talk, about, I, talk about talk about optimizing. Yeah, I that was my first uh, step into digital. But yeah, I did try that and uh, it worked well just because so many people had asked me how to do it. And I was like, I'll just try to write one blog post on how to do it. And um, then I was like, I'll just like charge five bucks for it and see what would happen. Oh, when I looked, it was 15 bucks. (laughs) Whatever it was. Yeah, that was uh, eight years ago, maybe, I think. Wow. Cool. So then you had all these, you know, small businesses that have done okay, generated some profit for you. Then you moved to SF and then started an app. Like, how did that go? Yeah, so like, all this period, you know, like, doing a brick and mortar business is great. And I, and I still want to open up another one one day. But it was really hard. It was physically demanding. Yeah. And um, I had, I could only make money while I was there. And I was like, 
I had just done this liquor store online. I was like, man, like digital is way better. You can impact way more people. And so I started like getting interested in internet businesses. And I, I Google and, and I basically I heard about this business from uh, I heard about this business called Airbnb. I had heard about them in in, in 2010, right? Really early on, because uh, I had a, a friend of a friend with, was like their tenth employee there, and there was it was I was interested in it, and I was like. Uh, and this was like in 2012 and I was like, man, I remember that Airbnb business. Like, I wonder how they're doing. And I looked them up and they were crushing it. They were doing super well. And I was like, okay, I wonder if I can get a job there and like make my way out to San Francisco because it seems like all the internet companies are in San Francisco. Right. And so I kind of weaseled my way and got a job interview there. And they're like, do you live, do you live in the Bay area? And I was like, yeah, I do. I, I live out there, which I, I live in Tennessee. <laughs> and they're like, all right. <laughs> They're like, come to our office on Monday for an interview. So I was like, oh shit, okay, I better get out there. So I, I booked a flight and I booked a, I actually stayed on an Airbnb, the cheapest one. Mm-hmm. And I did my interview. And after my interview, I went back to the house where I was staying. And the guy who was hosting me, his name is John. I got to know him a little bit. And he was like working on, and he was my agent or two years older. And he was working on uh, this roommate matching app that he had. And I was like, oh wow, I've never met anyone who like was my age that liked to, start their own company that's like i feel like you know i I, we bonded Mm. and uh, one thing led to another and i got the job at airbnb and i i kind of left school just a little bit early and i moved all my before graduation and i moved all and i moved i moved out there to work there but Mm. the day before i was supposed to start i was like i called john and i was like hey can i can i join you let's just do this i don't want to i'm not going to work at airbnb i'm not going to show up at work tomorrow can, can i can i work with you and uh, that's kind of how it came to be wow oh, that's incredible so so you didn't finish school or did you still like get the credits you just didn't attend graduation like i did not i yes i have a degree i um okay <laughs> just to I, be clear. <laughs> uh, did not attend graduation and i had to finish my degree out here in san francisco i i cut out a little early but i uh, completed you still everything. got it done okay good and then, so you got this job at Airbnb, and what was the role there? You know, I don't even remember. Maybe account <laughs> manager. It was like $25 an hour. Yeah, okay. Uh, it was not, it was like a, I was just, basically, they liked me, and they're like, we'll just like figure out something to do, and, and you'll like, you'll kind of find your way. Yeah, typical startup. Okay, and then you just thought, actually, you know, forget that. Let's just do this startup thing. So yeah. what was what was it about John? I mean, did he had he raised money? Did he have traction no. already? Well, yeah, he did. He had fifteen thousand. Someone gave him fifteen thousand dollars, right? And I was like, sick. That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, you got fifteen grand, and then I I owned a pickup truck, and I was like, I'll sell my pickup truck. Here's six thousand um, dollars. We got twenty one, or no, we got a uh, twenty one grand. Like maybe this could work, and yeah. that's how it started. All right, and then um, how, what happened? Like, how did you get your first user? What was your marketing strategy? Like, how did it grow? Yeah, so the premise was that there that there's a limited supply of so basically in, in new cities like San, or in San Francisco and New York cities where people move to and they don't know anyone. Right. There's a ton of people who are just like singles, like just like one person, and they want to they they're trying to move into a bedroom. Yeah. Someone, you know what I mean? Like yeah. a a four bedroom house where. Uh, the fourth person has just left, and they and the three other people need someone to fill it. Yeah, HMOs. Yeah, uh, yeah, and we're like, well, there's an oversupply of that of those types of situation, and there's an undersupply of like those one available bedrooms. But there is an equal amount of two, three, four, five bedroom apartments. What if we 
figured out a way how to take this oversupply of singles and turn them into groups of twos and threes and fours and fives and then move them into the apart two, three, four, or five bedroom apartments. Right. Um, and so what we did was we, this you can't do this anymore because it's um, they don't allow it, but we basically would broker deals with apartment complexes where they would give us access to two, three, four, five bedroom apartments and then we would advertise them in the, sh- in the shared apartment section of Craigslist where people who want one bedroom to search and we would put, say like, all right, this, there's a one bed, one bedroom available for a thousand dollars, but really, like, there was four bedrooms at a thousand dollars. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That gave us. We would get thousands of people signing up for that because of so much demand, and that what that meant was now we've got thousands of people who all want to pay a thousand dollars. They want to live in this particular neighborhood, and that they we know that their preferences fit within whatever the ad that we put was. Like for example, females only, no smokers, no pet shit like that. Yeah. And then we. We would throw parties so all those people, all those folks could get together, meet each other, and then we would help them move into their own apartment. Mm. Uh, and then we would take a cut from, uh, they, they would pay us a fee if they landed on the spot. And so that was how we initially got it. So that was like Our, the MVP. That was the MVP, yeah. That was like how we proved that like we that there's demand. And eventually, um, this, apart, this company called Apartmentless had heard about us and they hollered at us and they're like, you know, this is interesting what you guys are doing. We have a lot of money and we have a lot of engineers. What if we bought you and we could uh, help you take this process and turn it into an app and um, mm. scale it? And so we sold the business and that's what we did. Right. So you guys didn't actually have an app when you got acquired. We had um, we had uh, like a very simple version yeah. with very few users. Okay, but they were more interested in the concept and like the audience you had built. So to speak. Yeah, it was an audience and a brand that we built. Ah, interesting. So what was that like? So you got acquired, which was more, I guess, more of a aqua hire, they would say these yep, days. Yeah, it was totally, uh, yeah, that's exactly what it was. Um, and at the time, I thought it was cool. But looking back, um, there's definitely a lot of regret there. You know, we could have actually built this big thing on our own. Um, but it was a really exciting experience to go through that. Yeah. And to work at the, co- I had to work at the company that bought it for, I guess they bought me, you know, so it's just a job. <laughs> yeah. I worked there for a year, uh, one year and one day. Was it a good experience uh, or? It was, um, I'm thankful that I did it. Yes, right. I'm thankful. I, I learned a lot and the, a lot of the people who I who, uh, work for at, our, at my new company now, I met during that process. So it was, uh, it was worth it. Cool. I guess while you were there, were you were you guys still pretty hands on with the product, or? Oh yeah, definitely. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. It, was, it was it was like being like it, yeah. I mean, we like had a team of engineers, and we were able to like build the stuff that we wanted to build. And then, how did the app go in the end? Was it successful? Sorry. How was the app in the end? Was it successful when you guys launched? Was it? Is it still doing? Is it yeah. still around? So the, it was actually the world's first roommate matching iPhone app, and the way that it got popular was we learned how to create viral content. We just learned how to like make content that would spread virally, and we did that, and we got hundreds of thousands of users to sign up for free, which was amazing. Mm. Um, and it went really well. Um, you know, we had millions and millions of like matches and impressions, and it was working wonderfully. Um, I left, and then I found out a handful of months after I left that the company that bought us didn't turn out so hot. Like, they like were making all this money, and then something changed, and they didn't do so well, and uh, they shut down the app. Oh. So, uh, 
it doesn't exist anymore. But uh, it was a it, it was a nice little hit while it while it existed. Sure, uh, and you guys received like a ton of press as well. Like you were in Wall Street Journal, Huffington Post. So yeah, it was, it was a nice yeah. it was a nice ride. Yeah, it was very you know I was only twenty two and twenty three, so it was super exciting to experience that for the first time. But uh, yeah, it was neat. And then that brings us to where you're at today, I guess. The hustle. Yeah, yeah. So after the apartment thing, um, uh, I <laughs> I hated it there. I mean, I I gave them a um, four months notice, <laughs> and <laughs> when I quit, I didn't know what to do. Right. And so I was like, I'm gonna start a new company, but I gotta figure out what it, what it, what's it gonna be. And and I was like, well, until that time comes of finding this idea, I'm just gonna host this conference called HustleCon. And the idea was that we, John and I had started a company, a tech company, and we didn't know how to code or anything. And we're like, I wonder if we could, like, just teach people how to do it or something like that. And so yeah. what we did was, or what I did was, I loved live music, I loved concerts, and I knew that there was a big demand for conferences because I, I saw some of the revenue numbers of some of these conferences that I thought were super, super lame. And I was like, what if I could just, like, make it feel like a really cool concert, but it'd be a conference and that way I could charge like a good amount of money and um, but not have to pay like talent because you know I don't have the overhead of a band yeah. and so that's what that's what I did was I launched it launched HustleCon and I didn't actually think it was going to make any money or anything mm. but I, I just thought that it was a cool idea you know I was like you know maybe it'll work but it most likely won't but <laughs> I um, I uh, launched a website and found speakers and seven weeks later the conference happened and wow. it ended up being like meaningfully meaningfully uh like it was kind of meaningful revenue it was like 50 grand in like seven weeks and i was like damn maybe like something might be here um but i wasn't sure um and so what i did was i just kind of traveled afterwards i took (laughs) like i took six months off and i just like reflected yeah like and i just kind of rode my motorcycle all over the country nice and uh, didn't I didn't do anything. I, I, I barely spent any of the money that I made and I saved it all and I was just like, I just like sat and didn't do anything. Um, and then that... Was that a good uh, period for you? Were you reflecting? Were you, you know, just, you know, scheming? Like, what, what were you doing no, during that time? I was not scheming. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm always scheming. Who knows? But <laughs> I think entrepreneurs I are always was, scheming. <laughs> I was just... Uh, yeah, I drove my motorcycle from California to North Carolina, and I visited every state in between. Oh. And it was just like a, a period of reflection. I like was alone most of the time, and I read a lot of books. I read some philosophy books. I um, I just didn't do anything. I just kind of like tr- rode on my motorcycle all day, and then camped at night, and I was just alone. And it was just a, an opportunity to kind of get away from the hype. Mm. That is Silicon Valley, and to try to understand who I am and develop self awareness, and just, and try to understand what it is that I wanted out of life, yeah. um, because I think that it's easier to get on a hamster wheel, um, and I just wanted to be able to understand what my goals were before I, I started anything. That's really interesting. I feel I feel that a lot of people should do something like that, especially when they finish college. You know, they go straight into work. And then they work for like 20 years. And then um, they, they kind of do that when they're like 40 years old. That's super interesting that you managed to do that like in your early 20s to reflect and, and figure out how you're going to, you know, go at it again. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, I think that people need to understand that if you take six months off, everything that you left behind will still be there in six yeah. months. Yeah, And uh, the way that I see it, life is like one big line. And where I was at that point, I was at the very beginning of this line. It's like a timeline, you know? Mm-hmm. And I felt that if I just took, if, if, if this line, let's say, is six feet long, and I just took this one little amount of time, which is about the equivalent of an inch, mm-hmm. and like really shaped, like I thought about stuff and reflected on what I wanted, that one little inch could impact the rest, like the five feet that I still have left. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I was like, that, that's definitely, this is, this six months is 100% worth the investment if it could potentially change the rest of my life. So interesting. So then the six months is over, you come back, you realize that HustleCon wasn't a fluke, <laughs> and then you do it again? I still, you know, here's what I thought. I realized that I want to create something big. I remember going to Reno, Nevada, and I was at a gas station, and I saw someone playing on an iPhone, and I was like, and, and they, were, they were playing like a game that people in San Francisco play, and then I saw someone playing that same game in Florida, and then they're playing that same game in Colorado. Mm. And I said to myself, I want to create something that everyone uses. I think that that would be really cool to be able to create something that everyone across the country used or is positively impacted by. And so I called up my co-founder, John, and I said, John, I, I want to do this. I want to go big. I don't know what it is by going big yet, like what we're going to sell. But I do know that this hustle kind of thing could help finance whatever it is that we want to do. Right. And he jo- and he joined me, and we did it again. We did the conference again, and it was like four times as big. Wow. Um, and so while we were doing the conference, we realized that we were pretty good at creating content. And I read some crazy stat that the average CNN viewer was like sixty-five uh, six- or something. Yeah, like 65 or 66, some crazy number. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, there's not, here's the opportunity. And that's, that's kind of when we went all in on media. Nice. So then you started The Hustle, which is the newsletter. Yeah, originally it was a blog. It was very similar to Greatest. It was a blog where we just uh, wrote about news, but we also did a lot of crazy stunts where we would like, not me, but we as an entity would take drugs and talk about how it impacted productivity. <laughs> nice disclaimer there. <laughs> Not me. <Yeah. laughs> okay. Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't mind admitting it, but no, I, I'm, I don't do any substances or anything, but uh, we, we did a lot of crazy shit, and uh, eventually we settled on, on news. But yeah, we launched as a blog and uh, switched as a newsletter eventually. Nice. And, you know, one of the things that really, you know, struck me about The Hustle was just, it just felt like it grew really rapidly. You know, it just felt like it was a staple from day one. Um, You guys have, or you managed to generate like tens of thousands of email subscribers within like six months. Like, how did you do that? I think we got to 100,000 in six months. Yeah, that's insane. Uh, I think, I mean, we're on track. We're going to be hitting a million soon. I don't know how, I forget what we got in six months. Yeah, it grew fast. Um, it felt it doesn't feel fast while you're in it. No, of way, course, yeah. You know? <laughs> like it felt. It, I mean, like if you consistently do the same shit every day, it feels like there was a couple times where we were hitting ourselves. We're like, "What are we doing wrong? Why isn't this growing?" 
Yeah. But surely it, it went up just a little bit every single week. Mm. What did you guys do to generate these emails? I mean, you're producing content, which is a newsletter. So, like you said, it's well, not- before we had the newsletter, um, we just created lots of articles, and we eventually we we grew pretty fast to about five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred thousand monthly unique visitors, and that content probably got us our first forty to sixty thousand email subscribers. Wow. Um, Were you guys promoting and- the articles on Facebook or? We didn't know how to do that, really. We just read it. We just we wrote a ton of controversial articles, and that spread virally amongst the communities who we mocked. Really, yeah. I mean that's really what it was. Like, yes. like we did like some crazy shit where we would like live on soylent for a month, or one time we like called out a whole bunch of people who called themselves Kindle Kindle bestsellers, and we're like, that's bullshit. Like they're lying about it because you can game. <laughs> We're like, you can game Amazon so easily to become a best-selling author. Yeah. And it's all these people like calling themselves best-selling authors when it, it's not really fair. Yeah. It's kind of a false title. And so we kind of like would like call those people out and they would share it amongst their communities. And that's kind of how it, it picked up. They'll uh, share it and, and it went viral. They'll share it to, to be like, this guy's, these guys are talking rubbish or like, why would they share an article? Which yeah, is- yeah, yeah. Well, about half people... Half of the people shared it because they agreed with us, and about half of the people shared it because they thought that we were douchebags who, <laughs> like, were didn't know what they were talking about. But you know, we knew what we were doing getting into it. We were like, "Yes, we're going to piss off a ton of people, but we have to make a splash. We have to get users, and that's kind of what we did." Oh, cool! So you wrote these articles and you placed them in various groups on Reddit. Like, which subreddits were you using? I'm actually taking notes for myself. Our <laughs> Kindle. Um, if we wrote an article about a, a, a successful female entrepreneur, it would go in XY chromosome. If we wrote about something that Soylent has a has a um, Soylent has a subreddit, so sometimes we would create content like just for that subreddit. Right. Cool. That's interesting. It's so interesting that so many startups are still managing to scale on Reddit. You would have thought like it would have died by now, but it's still such a powerful tool. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Reddit. I'm always on Reddit. Um, yeah, me too. I mean, I'm a huge Reddit fan. What's your favorite group? Your favorite subreddit? Uh, our motorcycles, our raw denim. Um, let's see, what else? Um, our men's fashion, our technology, our San Francisco. Mm. Uh, buy it for life. I love buy it for life. Buy it for uh, life. Oddly satisfying. I've got a, I got a, a, got lot, a lot. lot. <laughs> I'm, more, I'm on the health side. So I'm more like, uh, lose it, uh, uh, keto. Uh, yeah, I like those too. Yeah, uh, keto progress pictures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Our lose it is cool. Yeah, lose it's cool. Um, uh, entrepreneur. Anyway, we can do this all day. <laughs> um, so you guys are growing it quickly. You recently just done a crowdfunding campaign. Yeah. Uh, so tell the audience about that because the numbers on these are it's crazy. Yeah. So like the hustle grew. We got like a hundred thousand users in our first handful of months, and we're like, I think that we can make this quite big. And so we launched our we we raised a little bit of money from some media VCs right. and a couple really successful angel investors, and we got we got what we needed. But because we kind of 
learned how to build community. I mean, we consider the hustle to be a community more than anything. Right. Because we, we learned how to build a community, we said, let's get the community involved. And so there was recently a law passed that allowed uh, crowd equity funding. And we just were like, we got to take advantage of this. And so last, we spent months preparing for it, but we raised all the money we really needed from uh, VCs. And we also make a lot of revenue as well. So it's not like we're, we're doing good, but we're like, what if we could get our community involved? And so we launched this crowd equity funding program to about a quarter of a million daily users. We launched it to. And I thought that like we would get like $150,000 in, uh, in 90 days. And we ended up getting many, many hundreds of thousands of dollars in 50 hours. Yeah, that's incredible. It was a complete, sh- I, like, I wish I could give an answer as to how, but I was, uh, like, I wrote this down. I said, if we got $10,000 in day one, I'll consider that a, a success. But we got 150. That's crazy. And then day I two, thought, you got <laughs> another. <laughs> Pardon? I thought, like, $10,000 was too ambitious. Wow. That's insane. Um, how did that feel? It felt wild. It felt like a fair... It, it still feels straight. I mean, at this point, we've raised, um, I don't know, 1.1 or $1.2 million. Yeah. And we ended up turning down literally close to a million dollars of more funding. And it was, like, shocking that it's easier to raise money than it is to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also exciting because the pressure's on you know now we 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 have a duty not only to ourselves but to our team members and to our investors to create something really valuable and that's exciting yeah how, how big are you guys now um in ter- so we've got uh in terms of number 10, of employees yeah 10, 10 full-time people will probably be at 15 in the next handful of mo- in the next couple months um we uh we're, we're, we're making very meaningful revenue, um, and we have, um, I don't know, maybe 5 million monthly readers, something like that. Wow. Those are solid numbers. Yeah, it's the numbers are, are pretty good. What I'm more happy with is our growth, is that it's growing very fast, yeah. uh, um, and our engagement is off the charts. I mean... Um, I think that there's an issue with a lot of media companies is that they go after scale, these huge numbers, but they fail to rally the community. I mean, ultimately, media, the whole point of media, or the measure of if media is a good media company is if it can sway public opinion or get people to act and to do stuff. And um, to do that, you have to have a really strong brand. And I hope that we can pull that off. Yeah, I mean, I've been... A hustler, I guess, a subscriber of the hustle for for a few months. Ever since I met you that time, you came to Greatest and you yeah. were meeting with Derek. I actually signed up like straight after that meeting. And yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan. I mean, you guys, your emails are definitely really long, and I find myself always complaining every day that it's so long. But I read it to the end every time. <laughs> and I'm well, like, ah. you know, what we're trying to accomplish is we're trying to give you all the news that you need to know to right, start your day. Yeah. Uh, so it's very really tough. Um, that is a challenge, and I think that an email written correctly is an email where you have taken out every single word that isn't as absolutely essential. Yeah. So it is a challenge. No, but I mean, look, the fact that I'm complaining and I still read it to the end obviously means the content's good. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's, 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 
you know, we got lucky. I, I didn't realize it was going to be like as habit forming as it has it as it has been. But yeah, it's, it's been a very ha- it's a very habit forming product. Yeah. Um. So you guys have raised all the money you need right now. For now. For yeah. now, you've got steady growth. What's the plan for the hustle? What have you got coming in the next right. few months? So, um, our vision is we want to build the next Bloomberg or the next Virgin. We want to create a brand that everyone in the world recognizes as quality and premium. And eventually, we're going to um, grow our media side of the business while also launching a handful of products that we want to um, provide for our community. Right. Um, we're we're definitely purposely ambiguous when we talk about that. Yeah. Um, but but we do have um, a lot of things in the works. Our our number one focus though is to hit a, a million daily users in the next handful of months. That's what we're trying to accomplish at the moment. Right. And you're talking in regards to the newsletter as opposed to the actual website. Yeah, I don't care about the website at all. In my opinion, media <laughs> is going through a, a crazy bloodbath right now, and. It's people who rely on platforms, I think, are screwed. Yeah. Um, and we think that our newsletter is kind of like our pirate ship, and every email we get is just a little bit of wind in our sails. And so we're going hard to create that pirate ship. Yeah, that's good. Um, so I guess in terms of, you know, we're looking to wrap up now, just some general advice. I mean, what would you say to, you know, the blogger, the content creator? Um, how do they build their audience? Yeah, so it's very challenging, but I think that there's a couple things that you can do. The first thing is you have to be extremely different from everyone else. Um, I, I prefer different than better, so I don't like the idea of trying to produce more or longer content than anyone else. I just want to make something so different that it's noteworthy. So that's extremely important is to be different. The second thing that you have to do is you have to be really consistent. I know that on the outside, it seems like we've grown really fast, but when you're doing it every day, it never feels that way. Of course, yeah. It does not feel, it feels like I've been slugging, I've been in a slug fest for the past two years. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, you just have to really, really be consistent. It's taken us um, a little bit of time and we've grown really fast. But we're also one of the fastest growing ones around. But take a look at some other brands that are significantly larger than us. It took them many years to get there. Mm. So it, t- it takes a long time to do anything meaningful and to do anything the right way. So um, that's the second thing is consistency. And then the third thing is um, just zero shortcuts. There's no, like, a lot of people do games to build audiences, um, and that just won't work. You just can't do games anymore. I think that young people have the strongest bullshit detector that you can ever imagine. And the only way that you can ever circumvent someone's bullshit detector is just don't bullshit. Mm. Um, And so I think that just quality and consistency is extremely important. Right. Okay, nice. Um, a few more generalist questions. Uh, favorite book? Uh, Titan, the biography of John Rockefeller. Great. Uh, biggest inspiration? Um, right now, well, John, uh, 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 John Rockefeller is one of them. Right now, um, this entrepreneur named Kevin Ryan, he started um, Guilt, he started DoubleClick, uh. Nice. He started Business Insider. Uh, I'm, I love his accomplishments, but more so I love his outlook on life and his attitude. Awesome. I actually just met with uh, Business Insider's first technical hire yesterday. Who? Ian Wright? I don't know Ian. He's but, the uh, co-founder of Sellthrough as well. You know Sellthrough, the ESPF, the 
um, email oh, service provider. Yeah. yeah, so he co-founded Tellthrough and he basically co-founded Business Insider. <laughs> yeah, um, well, they um, people, early employees at Business Insider have nothing but great things to say, it seems. Yeah, I mean, even uh, when he left, he was still an advisor there as well. So, um, yeah, it's a great company. Um, and my final question, so I've actually been working on this question for a long time and I, I did kind of like remix Tim Ferriss's question. But um, if you could have a billboard anywhere in the world, where would you have it and what would it say? Great question. Um, um, if you could have a billboard. Um, one of my, the corny, the corny lines that I repeat at all times, I don't actually know who said this, it's attributed to Henry Ford. Uh, but it's if you think you can or if you think you can't, you're probably right. Um, I think that's a, it's a pretty corny line, but I definitely repeat it to myself at all times. You know, I, I, I truly believe that um, uh, those who are the most bold and who are the most confident can um, uh, become the best if they truly believe that they can and they, and they, and they put the work in. Uh, I'm a big believer in self-actualization, and I, and I think that, um, that if you have big dreams, you can actually make stuff come true if you really believe it. Yeah, that's good. That's great. And where would you put it? In in off the road, uh, like off a uh, uh, one lane highway in the middle of Kansas. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's like the most beautiful place I've ever driven. One of the more beautiful places I've ever driven, and I would like to put it there. Okay, cool. Uh, awesome. So, where can people find you? Yes, so uh, I'm active on my Instagram, which is at the Sampar. But if you sign up for the Hustle, and you, if you respond to an email, um, if and if you say it's for me, it gets routed to me. But uh, everyone should sign up for the Hustle. You could find us by Googling the Hustle, um, or you can go to thehustle.co. Awesome! This was so much fun. Thank you so much for your time, Sam. Hey, thanks. Appreciate it. Um, so, guys, we've reached the end of the show, which means my top three key takeaways from the episode um as always you guys tell me yours via twitter so number one sam is an extremely fearless person i love the fact that he went to silicon valley initially to work for airbnb but instead he took a role and took a chance with a guy which he actually met on airbnb which truly changed the course of his entire life so what's the takeaway Don't be afraid to step out into the unknown and just take a leap of faith. You'll always land on your feet, trust me. Number two, which is a bit more practical, is try and figure out a way to get your customers involved with your marketing campaign. Now, with Sam's hot dog business, he got parents to tweet their baby's arm in order to get a free hot dog. This is pretty genius if you ask me. So try and think of a way to get people to interact with your product online. And that way they will probably end up marketing the product for you. And finally, ask the questions you think are an obvious no. Sam asked a very awkward question in order to get that hot dog stand for free for the first month. He could have waited and saved some money, but he wanted it right now. So he had this sense of urgency, which I think a lot of people just don't have so just ask even if you think the answer is a hundred percent going to be no you have nothing to lose 
And to be honest, you'll be surprised at what people would agree to as well. As always, guys, thank you so much for listening to the show. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Startup Hand-Me-Downs and leave us a review. We're on iTunes, we're on Twitter, we're on Twitter, we're on Stitcher, and we're on SoundCloud. Uh, on Twitter, we are at Startup HMD, and on Instagram, we are at Startup Hand-Me-Downs. Thank you so much for listening, and see you next time.